The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze with Grace Goller. Dealing with cancer is by no means easy to handle, but our program aims to make it easier through knowledge. Whether you've been recently diagnosed, are going through treatment right now, or are a survivor, our program will have points that you should hear. And by sharing our stories together, we'll make it truly a life-changing experience that you don't have to go through alone. Now, here is your host, Grace Goller. Hi, it's Grace Goller here, and here we are for another week of navigating the cancer maze. I am tonight uh, bringing the program to you from Singapore. I am on my way back from the Halvang Clinic in Germany, on my way back to Australia. And so here it is 4 a.m. in the morning and 1 p.m. your time in Arizona, for those of you that are listening in the USA. So last week on the show, we talked about personalized cancer medicine, which of course is done at the Halvang Clinic, um, the new wave of cancer medicine in particular, and an exciting new paradigm. Uh, we also talked last week that there's uh, very few maps along the way in looking at this new paradigm of medicine. So the best definition we came up with um, in last week's show was that personalised cancer medicine is the right treatment for the right person or patient at the right time. And so taking into account as much individualised information as we can for a person, as is possible, you know, this includes background, um, family, familial traits, diet, lifestyle, genetics, environment, a whole host of things. So that basically personalised medicine is a little bit like assembling a detailed jigsaw puzzle uh, with many pieces and all of the pieces actually give a pointer as to perhaps the cause of illness, how you might prevent an illness or how we might regenerate damaged tissues during or after an illness. So, of course, it includes, uh, too, the ever-important psychological aspects, what we call the psycho-oncology aspects that I've emphasised in this show uh, for the, over the past 12 weeks. And it includes the patient. And the patient needs to have integrity around this area and um, really deliver to the doctors that are trying to help them best of the information that they can remember uh, their input in helping doctors to discover the key and causative elements in their illness uh, just can't be underrated. And we're going to come back to that particular point a little bit later in the show. But in looking at the biggest challenge for the integration uh, in personalised medicine into our current medical system is that it requires a new infrastructure, new thinking. And it requires more involved health professionals, 
So people need to take more time and there need to be more people available. We need to look at the innovative diagnostic testing uh, for patients. Collaboration between health practitioners. Now, this is a very important one, and it's one where we at our institute say to people, uh, if you have other practitioners that are involved PACE, it's really important that we all collaborate, that we all talk on behalf of you so that we can get the best outcome. And we actually find when practitioners do not wish to collaborate um, for the patient in this way, that they may not be in the patient's best interest because it's really very important that we all know what is actually going on for a patient. We need uh, certainly hospital cooperation as well. So that's a very new paradigm. And I think, uh, as we mentioned last week, we'll likely see more small private and innovative hospitals developing so that replicable models of the new personalised healthcare can be created. And in speaking about personalised healthcare, as I was preparing for the show, um, I was going to say this evening, but it's actually this morning, uh, I've just received a, a newsletter. Um, this was published in Nature Review's Drug Discovery. And the title of the uh, abstract is Personalised Medicine. Oncology, the future is now. And I think it's quite moot to what we're actually um, talking about today in talking about the Hulvang Clinic, personalised medicine, and the lessons that can actually be learned by patients who seek treatments in Germany. So the abstract goes on to say cancer chemotherapy is in evolution from non specific cytotoxic drugs, they're drugs that are toxic to the cells non-specific cytotoxic drugs that damage both tumour and normal cells are moving towards more specific agents, immunotherapy approaches. Targeted agents are directed at unique molecular features of cancer cells and immune therapeutics modulate the tumour immune response. Both approaches aim to produce one, greater effectiveness, and two, with less toxicity. So the development of these agents is going to enable and is enabling, in fact, a far more personalised approach to cancer treatment than previously possible and has the potential to reduce the cost of cancer care. Um, the latter one, I think, is very important. That abstract is by Richard L. Shulsky and it's in Nature Review's Drug Discovery. So this aspect is now happening around the globe, in particular in Germany, where a small private hospital is leading the way in personalised cancer medicine. Halvang Private Oncology Clinic in Germany's Back Forest is really one such hospital. Now, there are many hospitals in Germany that have used different treatments for cancer for many decades, and some of these treatments, such as hypothermia, have been available there for around about 50 years. Um, and in fact, way before that, we know that hypothermia and the induction of fever was actually used as a cancer treatment. Now it's used more as an adjunct to conventional cancer treatments. While other treatments in Germany, new, innovative and clinically researched, are at the forefront of some of the treatments that are used at the Halvang Clinic. Now, personally, I've been involved in patient referrals to cancer clinics in Germany for about 25 years. But actually, it's not until the last couple of years that personally I've become very excited about the future 
of cancer medicine so that I can now uh, refer patients and also be present at a clinic where people are getting the best of psycho-oncology, the best of complementary medicine and the absolute best. In fact, the oncologist at the clinic, Dr. Ashia Kopik, recently said that some of the medicines that were used there and also used in a synergistic way, meaning one adds on to the other, adds on to the other, are actually some of the best in the world. And we certainly have witnessed that at the clinic. So the Halvan Clinic has a very unique edge in cancer medicine. So not only is their molecular and their genetic testing unparalleled anywhere else in the world, and they use the Greece-based laboratory RGCC, but they do have access to a range of unique and targeted therapies. And one of these targeted therapies um, is called a tri-functional antibody. And there's actually many more of those that will be coming on the market over the next few years. Many are in trial at the moment and not too far away. So all of this has added a dimension in accuracy for targeting tumours, just uh, as in the article that I read, and also for targeting the circulating tumour stem cells. Now, if you haven't listened to any of the other episodes of Navigating the Cancer Maze, I'd recommend that you go back to um, Navigating the Genetic Cancer Maze, which was an interview that I did with Dr. Ray Hammond. Um, Ray is in the USA and he's actually the medical director of RGCC USA. I mention Ray's email here because if you are interested in looking at any of this innovative genetic testing, you'd be well advised to get in touch with Dr. Ray Hammond and organise your um, your test and get the information that you need to do it. So the email is info, I-N-F-O, at R-G-C-C-U-S-A, or one lot, rgccusa.com. Um, this type of genetic testing is right at the forefront, at the vanguard of the new wave of um, cancer medicines for the 21st century. So more often than not, patients in the past have desired to attend the German clinic only after they've heard the words from their doctor that every patient dreads, I'm sorry, there's nothing else that we can do. So I'd really suggest uh, that people start going to the clinic and start going to many of the other uh, clinics if, if you're interested in those in Germany, getting opinions um, and really not leaving it till the last gasp. Now, we particularly use the Halvan Clinic because we have very, very good experiences there and they're doing... Um, treatments that other clinics aren't doing. But so often from the other clinics as well as Halvang, we've heard patients have their mercy dash uh, to the clinic and doctors saying, well, you're here at five minutes to midnight and I'll just see what I can do to help you. So uh, it's not so easy going to uh, overseas clinics. There are many pitfalls and travel in itself can be very taxing for cancer patients and very stressful on supporting partners to caregivers who travel because there's a lot of unknowns. Um, there's a lot of complications for cancer patients with long-haul flights and especially with fatigue and, and you have clotting issues, embolisms and deep vein thrombosis. Um, so in the main, 
We're going to come back after the break and we're going to look at who are these patients who search for treatments overseas now. Um, in the past, it's been people who have had poor prognosis and who are the people currently who are now seeking German cancer treatments. We'll look at perhaps why they haven't found solutions in their home country and what is that lure to Germany that drives them to seek um, the magic cure in cancer medicine. So uh, we'll be very, very soon going to the break. And when we come back, we're going to look a little bit more in depth at the German cancer treatments. Um, today, we may also get time, I do hope so. We have one very interesting uh, email from the mailbox from last week, and it does tie to a patient who has been at Halvang with a brain tumour. So, um, Faye, if you're out there and listening and wondering uh, if your little story is going to come on today, we'll do our best to get it on. And if not, we'll probably wait until next week because it's quite a long and complex answer that we have. But um, in short, if anyone is listening and they do have a brain tumour, um, there's certainly some very good solutions for that in Germany as well. So please don't forget to write in if you have questions for the mailbox. You can email me at institute at gracegawler.com and each week we do try to get through maybe two or, or um, uh, sometimes three questions that are very uh, related we've been doing in the program. So we are about to go for a break right now and I'll be back very shortly with more of German cancer treatments and looking at navigating the cancer maze. Back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Hulvang Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hullvang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. So here we are again back navigating the cancer maze. I'm your host, Grace Gawler, 
And today we're looking at treatments in Germany, particularly treatments at the Halvan Clinic. And um, as I said before the break, we're going to have a look at who the patients are these days that are actually interested in seeking treatments overseas when they have not found solutions in their home country. So as I was flying here today on Qantas from Frankfurt to Singapore, um, I was thinking about this question quite a lot and how the nature of cancer therapies has changed over the years. Um, when I began in this uh, business, for want of a better word, or um, vocation all those years ago, back now about 38 years ago, uh, there was a very different kind of genre that was here for working with cancer patients. And uh, just in the last few years, perhaps the last decade, I've really noticed a change and I think that one of the contributing factors that's really pushed the new personalised cancer medicine uh, paradigm has actually been the alternative medicine movement. Uh, now, back when I started all those years ago, cancer patients had a very different need. Diets were very different. Um, patients were just at the forefront of saying, well, we really want to be in on our cancer treatment. But in fact, the majority of people back in those days were very happy to hear what the doctor said, do what the doctor said, and um, not do so much of their um you know, own education and awareness. And we have to remember that back in those days that there wasn't the internet. So that has made a huge difference um, and particularly fueled the alternative movement. Now, initially, I think this movement came out of a desire, which was quite a good desire um, for self-help and for empowerment because medicine was in a systems and processes style and um, the patient really wasn't too much at the forefront. But as uh, just said, having been at that vanguard of the new, what we called then patient-centred movement, myself in the 1970s, at the time, I think the intentions were good. Um, it seemed back then that the medical system had indeed left out the most important player or ingredient in the healing dynamic. And particularly in cancer medicine, it was so important that the patient be involved, that the patient be informed. Um, when you have a life-challenging illness such as cancer, you need to ask a lot of questions. You need to get answers. There are things you need to put in order, sometimes things you might like to do. And if you're not informed, as the patient, you can actually be robbed of um, a great deal of really quality issues in your life and well-being. So back around that time, around the end of the 70s, something really shifted in the cancer patient consciousness. Um, doctors like Emmett Miller, who some of you may remember I also had on the program recently, and if you did miss that particular show. It's an excellent program to go back and listen to. Um, Emmett also paved the way in putting the patient first in medicine and he was one of the people back there in the um, mid to late 70s who was really looking at what he called the soul of the patient and how that um, the patient really needed to be involved in their medicine just from the personal point of view um, apart from anything else. 
So when patients wanted to be in on the action, they wanted to be informed about medical treatments. Now, I remember there's one story um, of a lady called Kay that really stands out in my awareness. Um, Kay actually turned away from medicine after having a very, what she said was a very bad experience of uh, turning up one day to a clinic to see her oncologist who she had actually had quite a, a deal of respect for and she turned up with a pile of her x-rays, scans weren't around then and uh, put her x-rays on the table and there was a meeting and a meeting of doctors uh, who were all going to have their input into what her future was and uh, She'd been coming along to groups and become quite a, a self-empowered uh, patient. And she went into this room with all of these doctors and there was about somewhere about eight or ten um, who were actually there to look at her films. They put all of her films up on the side of the room on the X-ray lights and they started talking about her. She was in the room but not one person referred to her. Not one person looked at her and they actually spoke to her x-rays. And she, I remember this story so well. She said, I got up at the end of it all and she said, haven't you uh, remembered me? I'm sitting here and I'm the patient. And uh, this was in this early stage where patients started to become aware that they really needed to be in on these decisions and they really wanted to know what was happening. Now, in, in her case, it was a real shame because that uh, incident turned her away from conventional medicine and she made some rather poor choices after that and unfortunately um, she died within a few months. But uh, I say that's a great shame because she actually did have medical options. The lesson, I think, from this is to always, always be sure to get yourself involved and don't just sit back. I still have some patients who tell me that they do this and uh, feel like that they do lose their power. But it's clearly that an area where patients can really bring their oncologist or other practitioners to attention. So be sure to get your questions answered, your needs met. And I think having a direct eye-to-eye consultation is really useful because you really need to connect with your oncologist. You really need to get them on side or him or her on side and uh, they need to be a part of your team and not someone who's actually um, seen in a, a distant sort of position. So anyway, getting back to the alternative uh, medicine movement, um, as I said before, I believe that the desire for change back then had a really good intent. So let's look at what actually happened. You know, what happened to that good intent and how did it all go awry? So as in many movements for change, instead of bridging the gaps in the system, the gulf between medicine and alternative medicine unfortunately became even wider. Um, and either or mentality began to develop and in the past decade now, we've seen that momentum escalate towards the pursuit to find the cure for cancer in the alternative medicine realm. And uh, you might think back uh, many years ago when that pursuit for the cure for cancer was actually more in the medical realm. And uh, your big cancer societies were all raising funds to find the magic cure for cancer. So it's more recognised now actually in the alternative medicine realm because the cancer cures that are touted out there um, have really swept 
through the patient bodies, through the support groups, and uh, in general through the internet. So for me, that progression is really interesting. But for the cancer patients, this is a real problem because now they're not only walking in a cancer maze, but they're walking in a maze full of minefields. And uh, that is a problem because people don't know what they don't know. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way at all, but, you know, I've been working with cancer patients now 38 years and I'm still learning. I've had a lot of experience with groups. I've had a lot of feedback. I've seen people do a lot of things, make a lot of choices. Um, I've also seen people make choices that they've regretted later on and uh, been privy to people saying, if only I'd have taken this particular road at this time, things might have been a little different for me. So with about 14,000 plus patients now that I've worked with, I... Um, I think I'm really personally witnessing quite a change that is perhaps best called by self-help becoming self-destructive. Um, I never thought I would say that uh, as a person who founded first cancer support groups in Australia, but having just been at the Halvan Clinic and to have seen some of the uh, things that have happened to patients there um, through this self-help movement and trying to really be their own doctor, it's quite an eye-opener. Uh, the other thing I think is happening is that health logic's giving way to emotionalism um, ideas and theories are seen on the internet as fact and uh, I think that many of the people that are on the internet and writing many of the blogs and um, the popular treatment cures etc are people who have very little clinical experience. Um, one of the other big issues that's coming from this is the absolute abhorrence of the pharmaceutical industry. Um, these guys are now seen to be sort of unscrupulous profiteers wanting to keep people sick. Oh, promotion of the also lucrative alternative medicine industry gets elevated to sort of a demigod status. Um, so that's been a huge, huge change. And I'm not saying that all of uh, Big Pharma is good or squeaky clean, but let's face it, if we didn't have a lot of the pharmaceuticals that we have today, um, a lot of us would be not very well off at all. So getting more to looking at the German cancer treatments and the stories and what's driven patients in the past to seek cures in Germany, and most importantly towards the end of our show today, actually going through in point form and listing what you can learn if you're listening today as a cancer patient, newly diagnosed, uh, perhaps someone who's in the middle of going through treatments and trying to make up your mind what to do and where to go. I hope that I'm going to be able to provide you with a good checklist so that you can learn from some of these experiences. Uh, recently, when we were in Germany, we uh, had some uh, time with a very famous oncologist and uh, he took us into his office where he sat us down for some tea and cake and he produced a large folder from his bookshelf. And then he proceeded to explain and show some absolutely horrendous photographs that he'd collected over the years from patients who had attended his clinic who'd done alternative medicine, um, who had shunned uh, conventional medicine, maybe had tried it and then dropped it, but then who had gone the route of the alternative. And 
may come as a bit of for many of you with myself as a as a health practitioner i'm naturopath um, qualified in nutrition herbal medicine but uh, patients when they come to see me are actually quite surprised when they walk into my office because they see books and not supplements so uh, i'm basically giving them support and information and um, direction and i think that's one of the things that cancer patients today really need so that they don't make the error uh, of going down the alternative medicine path for treating cancer. So as this good professor thumbed through his pictures, there were mainly pictures of women and women with breast cancer. And there was one common denominator with the treatments that these women had tried. And we've discussed this uh, particular uh, application before, and it's actually called Black Salve. Now, black salve has recently been banned in Australia. Um, it's still going around on the black market, as it's called. People are still using it. And I'd really strongly, strongly encourage you to beware of this product and to, um, I'd really say across the board, don't use it. Um, the professor in Germany showed us page after page of ulcerated and puce-coloured breast tissue with sometimes the entire breast being consumed by the ulceration. Um, this is known in medical circles as fungating breast tumours and it's very well known that black salve in particular will actually cause this process. Um, one series of the photos also depicted a young man with a melanoma on his head or had been on his head. His mother had applied this black salve for about six months using the more is better principle. And guess what part of the skull bone was actually eaten away exposing his brain. Um, other German clinics are also seeing a large number of cancer patients from the West who have used black or who are using it and the popularity has seen the usage apply to more and more cancers. I've even had people suggesting that they were going to use it for an anal cancer, people using it uh, in their mouth, um, going way, way beyond what black salve was originally used for, which was skin cancer. Um, and I'll um, come back and talk some more about black salve because it does have a very interesting uh, mythical kind of a history. And uh, I think some of you who have uh, read about it might be quite surprised to actually know um, where black salve originated and a little bit more about it. So we are going for a break now. I'm Grace Gawler, Navigating the Cancer Maze, and we'll come back talking more about that very controversial alternative medicine, Black Sav. Back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Hulvang Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hulvang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Guller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm Grace Gawler and I'm back with you navigating the cancer maze and we're talking about one of the alternative medicines, black salve. Um, by speaking about this today, uh, I do get a lot of emails asking me about the use of black salve, so I'm hoping that we might be able to do a little bit of education and uh, give some of the warnings that are associated with this. Um, people uh, have a lot of amazing kind of mythical ideas about it coming from the Native Americans and it was used for skin cancer, etc. But um, it's interesting to know, I think, that the use of these caustic pastes to treat skin cancer um, is based on a very long term, in fact, it's a centuries-old observation that selected minerals and some plant extracts can destroy certain skin lesions. So um, someone had the idea to use a substance called zinc chloride and bloodroot, which is Sanguinaria canadensis. Um, they're two agents that are commonly used together in making up black salve. Now, these are called escherotics. And uh, allopathic medicine now has discredited the use of these substances quite a bit. A hundred years ago when we didn't have other things that would um, take off tumours, remove skin um, cancers, um, there may have been some validation for people in having a try with them. But today, you know, in 2012, um, we've certainly gone past that. And I think it's really important to look at um, some of the constituents because um, it's not all blood root. And um, zinc chloride is quite a destructive agent. So what we've had in the last maybe 10 years now, there's been a real surge in the use of black salve. Um, I'm mentioning it because many people go to the uh, the Halvan Clinic and other clinics, if you've just tuned in, um, where they've used black salve and have made a lot of uh, tissue damage. So uh, it was used as a primary treatment, a self-treatment for skin cancer. And uh, one of the problems with using it for that is not knowing if a skin tumour is or benign, um, and one doesn't know the dangers of actually spreading a tumour by using it. So it's made up as a paste, basically. Um, the blood root, um, it's a native herb in the eastern United States and Canada, and uh, when it's actually cut, um, the root um, is harvested and a red liquid flows from the plant. So it's quite a um, potent alkaloid, and this thick paste was put onto skin um, and people said well when you put this on the skin it won't cause any damage to normal tissue it will only affect the abnormal tissue then people started adding in the zinc chloride and as I said that was widely used in the 19th century um, it's very destructive and it was used actually in the treatment of cancer in uh, modern medicine so it uh, provided an inflammatory response with a um, a bit of a 
and then a, a scar would form on the top. Um, and many physicians actually started to train in what was called Mohs fixed tissue technique surgery. And a lot of people aren't aware about Mr. Mose or Dr. Mose as he was then. So he was um, a doctor. He'd been a student at a university in America. And he actually used um, the zinc chloride and the paste made from the blood root. And he pasted it on and left it on a tumour until it actually fixed the tumour and the tumour actually would lift out of the skin. But uh, this was in the 1930s. But what he then did is he went back, as a surgeon would today, a good surgeon would go back into the wound, look for cells and then remove any of the cancerous cells that were left and he'd wait until we got, uh, got what we would talk, call today clear margins. Um, they also used another substance called antimony trisulfide in the mixed. So um, it's very interesting that this mythical substance that was used by native peoples actually does turn out to be something that was used um, by Dr. Mose. And he actually coined the word for his technique of using the paste of chemo surgery. Uh, Black salve goes under many names uh, out there commercially from alternative practitioners and some who aren't trained as well. Um, and uh, just be really careful with the substance. I mean, I'd really suggest that nobody uses it, particularly if you don't know what kind of cancer that you are dealing with. We've seen some dreadful scarring results from this. And um, we've also seen people who have likely spread the cancer by taking some of it out and not the whole of the actual tumour. So we were recently at um, the Halvan Clinic, as I mentioned before, in the Black Forest in Germany, and there was a young woman there, Australia, and she'd also used black salve on her breast. Now, this has become relatively popular, as I've just uh, said before the break. It's not only people actually using it on skin cancers, but if it's good for one cancer, well, maybe it's good for lots of cancers is the, um, the theory out there. So um, she'd actually done quite a lot of damage to her breast tissue. Um, but even worse was one of the other things I want to talk about today is over-supplementation. Um, this young lady was actually taking uh, lots of different supplements, all that actually had the potential to be very toxic to her liver. There was one particular one which was actually identified uh, she actually left Australia on the words of her oncology people warning, do not go, do not, f there's something going on here with your liver and it was presumed that it was a tumour. So this is a really big lesson for um, a lot of folks out there. It actually wasn't a tumour, but she'd actually poisoned herself with apricot kernels. And uh, apricot kernels combined with the other supplements, combined with a high use of essential oils, actually was a toxic disaster for this young girl who was actually only um, only 42. Uh, she had no idea that the damage that she was doing and uh, the toxicity of her liver. So she's alive today thanks to the the good skills of a German oncologist actually uh, at the Halvang Clinic who identified the toxicity and sent a biopsy off to the lab and sure enough, um, it was apricot kernels. Um, she uh, was taking, I think, around 20 of those a day and no 
nobody really knows exactly what the correct dose is for a person. There's so much out there on the internet about apricot kernels and they won't harm you. Um, there's so much about the vitamin B17 and also about the thing called laetrile. Now, in the apricot kernels, there's a substance called amygdalin and um, that actually occurs naturally in plants. Laetrile is the name for a synthesized compound. Um, it's chemically similar to amygdalin, but it's actually not the same molecule. Um, so if you're taking vitamin B17, if you're taking amygdalin, if you're taking apricot kernels, or in fact, if you're having lots of apple seeds, some people are doing cherry pits, um, other seeds from what's called the prunus family, they do have this natural substance called amygdalin. Um, it can be creating hydrogen cyanide, which is very, very toxic. Now, for hydrogen sulfide, the amount is about one milligram per kilogram can kill you. So um, that's bad news for your body. And even if at a lower dose that there was some use from it, uh, really, unless you have the ability for your body to detoxify the cyanide, um, you know, you're just playing with fire. And here was this uh, young girl doing all of these things, thinking she was doing the right things. And because of apricot kernels, she would have lost her life within a few weeks of being in Germany. And I don't want to sound melodramatic in saying um, these things about black salve, apricot kernels and so forth. But as a natural health practitioner, I feel I've got a real responsibility in, in education and awareness um, for the public and particularly for the cancer public because uh, you just don't know sometimes what you're reading and how accurate it is and, and who's given you the information. So the advice is with apricot kernels also um, think twice and if you are convinced that you want to do them please look at your liver enzymes and uh, any toxicity with your health practitioner um, this is certainly one of those cases where more is not better one of the other um, myths that I thought was worth discussing, um, and we see a lot of this in my practice at home um, on the Gold Coast in Australia, as well as in Germany, and that's the vegan diet myth. We see so many people who have had so much muscle loss, um, weight loss from vegan diets. And I think it's probably one of the biggest issues, in fact, that's found throughout patients um, attending cancer clinics. So much so that it's not actually caused by the cancer itself, but this is caused by poor nutrition. Um, seeing people on low-protein diets, low-fat diets, raw vegan diets um, can be a real problem. So... In fact, while people are trying to do all these things to help their uh, immune system and um, to eradicate their cancer, conversely, conversely, it all leads to often a depressed immune system and compromised immunity and is actually caused by the diet. So sometimes, you know, people will do this diet and think, well, this is really great for me and I'll then go along to a health practitioner who will actually prescribe for me um, supplements. So instead of getting your nutrition from food, you're now getting your nutrition from supplements and um, doing the vegan diet as well. It's actually swept the world. Um, it's touted for optimum health. What we find is that many people who initially go on a vegan diet, particularly if they've had a, a poor diet or a lot of processed foods in their diet before, can actually do quite well 
um, initially on the vegan diet, but it fairly soon wears out. And uh, contrary to what you read in the testimonials in books and websites, uh, the raw vegan diet does not, unfortunately, always end up as a happily ever after. So if you've changed your diet out there, you're a cancer patient, you're listening today, you're doing the raw food vegan thing and you're feeling good right now, um, really beware because once you have the weight loss and the signs of fatigue, anemia, there's dental problems, bone problems, psychological, emotional issues that come with a a vegan diet long term, uh, mood changes, depression, things like this, skin problems um, can all be attributed to people that have just gone too extreme on a vegan diet. So we'll come back uh, after a break now in a few seconds and I'll be talking more about vegan diets and juices, smoothies and all the issues that go with that in navigating the cancer maze. We'll be back Options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Holvung Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hullvang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll free from North America at 1 866 472 5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Hi, here we are back with Navigating the Cancer Maze in our last segment of the show for today. Grace Gawler here and we are talking about vegan diets in terms of cancer treatments and uh, before the break we were talking about the issues that uh, can be brought about for cancer patients by having a vegan diet. If you don't have a disease process you know you may not have too much to lose by experimenting with diets but when you have cancer it's actually a very very different story and in talking about the vegan diet myth um, which as I said has swept the world 
Um, you can go to lots of clinics and retreats now where you're fed vegan food, raw food and vegan food, and it helps you to change over um, actually having that style of food in your life at home. So beware the cancer patient. We see this so often, as I said, in our practice um, back home in Australia, but also people who come to Halvang and sometimes their weight is so compromised that they actually can't have some of the treatments that they would like to have um, in, in starting off at Halvang. Uh, we had a, a lass the other day who was told by one of the uh, specialists that, you know, the muscle bulk actually does help with your natural killer cells. And uh, if your NK cells are low, you need to be putting on some bulk, some muscle bulk. So just like the camel that uses up its fat when it's walking through the desert and uses up the water, um, if we don't have the proper things for our body to metabolize, we actually start to do that too and the body starts to rob Peter and pay Paul and that starts a whole process of fatigue, which is the last thing that any cancer patient needs. Um, I must admit a part of my own history here is important to mention with regards to the vegan diet because um, a report about the famous Australian cancer patient who was indeed my ex-husband who recovered from bone cancer 30 years ago. Uh, there was a, a report in a medical journal, the Medical Journal of Australia, um, back in December of 2008 and there's been several other reports about his story. But unfortunately, inaccurately, they've described him as using a vegan diet and saw that as a part of um, his recovery and a significant part along with positive thinking and meditation. So this just highlights to anyone listening today too that the um, inaccuracies also happen in medical journals and um, in the reporting that goes along with them. So in this particular case, I was actually the patient's partner at the time and my role was quite a bit of not only support but in preparing food. So I can vouch that he actually never had a vegan diet and his case was recently examined for the first time uh, after the article in the medical journal. It was then discovered that there was no biopsy done when secondary bone cancer was diagnosed and now it's believed based on medical timelines in this history that likely he did not have secondary bone cancer but TB that left behind calcified abscesses. In other words, it was a misdiagnosis and uh, at the time no intent at all from us. However, with the eyes of 2011-12 medicine, looking back, there's a perfectly good explanation for the story. But this misdiagnosis has influenced millions of cancer patients around the world um, thinking that they could do it too and that's something we hear quite often, that they too can conquer cancer with a vegan diet, meditation and positive thinking. And it's very important that the correct version of that story does go on the record because it can influence so many people. And uh, I think in, in that influence... Um, of cancer patients, it gets passed on too from cancer patient to cancer patient through support groups and even some doctors have actually been affected by that misreporting of his particular case. So uh, be careful with the vegan diet. 
always try to get um, somebody to prescribe the diet for you. Again, it's not a one-size-fits-all. That goes right across the board in cancer medicine. And I think vegan diets are best left well alone, Um, my personal professional opinion, um, as a naturopath and herbalist and someone with a lot of experience. Um, One of the other things that can also go with the diet which can give patients some trouble is the high volume of juices um, and the high volume of smoothies and I can tell you when I look at patient scans particularly their pet scans and they say well you know I'm just doing 10 juices a day and four smoothies it's amazing the amount of people who are suffering from uh, retention constipation um, because their bowel has actually forgotten how to work with all the juice and poor fiber um, actually it's creating another whole series of problems for them so I'd like to just um, tidy up as we're coming towards the end of our segment today with what are the key lessons learned from patients who have just been with us and patients in previous groups um, who have come to see the doctors at Halvang Private Oncology Clinic. And I've noted down several um, points here, which uh, I'll go through with you. So point one, small doses Nutrients work best. Surprise, surprise. Um, There is a law of pharmacy that says small amounts can cure and too large amounts are definitely not good for you. So a lot of things, uh, whether it's food, whether it's water, whether it's supplements, are actually dose dependent. So we must be very careful on the dose and we also must respect the fact that we are all different. The second point, diets and supplements must be individualised. Again, no one size fits all. Um, Be aware that if you have any strange symptoms from toxicity, check your supplements. Um, Go to a health practitioner, go to your oncologist if you have liver symptoms uh, because these can be connected with an over-supplementation problem and be very toxic to the liver. Something that came up uh, recently with yoga, and uh, we do yoga sessions and stretch sessions every day with patients clinic, and uh, this is something the Pipcorn all came up with, and it was 70% of the body's detox actually comes from your lungs, so expelling air, uh, simply expelling air, yoga breathing, does wonders for actually um, doing detox. So having fun um, is another thing. So uh, be sure to engage your spirit and remember to have some really very good sense of humour. We heard Emmett Miller speaking uh, specifically about this in his interview with me. Again, I'd encourage you to go back and and have a listen to that interview. Um, Being honest and authentic as a patient, we touched on this earlier. There are many patients who do not disclose what they are taking what they're doing, what programs they're following. And it is essential that you are authentic and honest with your doctors because, uh, as we've just mentioned with this last with the cot kernels, uh, it's really important to help track what's going on for you, to help find the pieces in your jigsaw puzzle so that uh, doctors and people like myself can help you better. Um, Psycho-oncology is essential to recovery. That's been a really big surprise for many people. Don't be scared of counselling. If you need help and you're a cancer patient, sing out because PTSD, depression, distress 
are all a given if you've got a cancer diagnosis. So it's not a good time to be researching, surfing the net or doing a self-diagnosis. One other point that came up was the awareness of retelling your story over and over. Um, we had a day at the clinic where we said, let's not talk about cancer day and everyone wore a sticker. And if someone started talking about their cancer, their cancer story, people actually pointed uh, to the sticker as if to say, no, I'm not talking about cancer today. Uh, these people hadn't realised that about 90% of their day went into thinking about or talking about cancer. So try this one at your local support group when you go. Support groups are meant to support the people and not just talking about cancer week in and week out because that can be very, very depressing and it can actually anchor you into your own story. Beware who gives you information about curing cancer. Uh, many entrepreneurs are out there saying cancer is easy to cure. We've got journalists, naturopaths, thick doctors. We've got doctors who aren't doctors, professors that aren't professors, people that want to make money, architects and so on. A lot of people who are out there trying to give advice about cancer who have no clinical experience. So big lesson, get the qualified advice. So we are coming to the end of our program today. If you'd like more information on any of the subjects that we've touched on, um, the lessons learned from the Hung patients or any of the alternative medicines or indeed anything from any of the programs, do contact me. Institute at gracegawler.com is the email. And you can also check out my informational blog which is uh, Grace Gawler Media, all one word, dot com. And each week you'll find interesting articles there and education and awareness articles about how to navigate the cancer maze because it's a complex maze and as we mentioned before, it can also be a minefield. So uh, next week we uh, have a program coming in. It'll be a repeat of a program because it's Thanksgiving. So all good wishes to all listeners out there. Happy Thanksgiving, and I'll be with you the week after. Have fun navigating the cancer maze. Bye for now. Thank you again for listening to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Please join your host, Grace Goller, again next Friday at 12 noon, U.S. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember... Cancer is not something you have to face alone.